welcome. This is season two of the Racial Equity Enrichment Podcast called The Intersection. I'm your host, Ebony Walden. So last season we talked about, um, we have guests talked about their vision for racial equity and how do we get there. This season we're opening up things a bit and inviting guests from various intersections and from around the country to talk about their work and specifically to answer the questions of what now, what next. After our heightened awareness of racial justice, the need for it after, during the pandemic, and after the murder of George Floyd and corresponding protests, where that kind of conversation is kind of leveling out and we wanna keep it going at the intersection. So today we're gonna to be meeting at the intersection of race and the economy, and we'll discuss solidarity economy, what that is with our two guests, Renee Hatcher from the University of Illinois at Chicago Law School, and Matthew Slatz, who's a PhD candidate at the University of Virginia. And of course, I know Matthew from working with him around participatory budgeting in both Charlottesville and Richmond, and he's working with Virginia Solidarity Economy Network. So thank you both for joining us today and would love to kick it off just to ask you both to take two or three minutes to introduce yourself, tell us where you're from, what's the work you do, and a pivotal moment that brought you to that work. Whoever wants to start. <laughs> you want to go ahead, Renee, or do you want to go ahead? <laughs> go ahead. Okay, well, I'll jump in. <laughs> I'm Renee, <laughs> I'm Renee Hatcher. Uh, my day job is at UIC Law School where I'm an assistant professor and I direct a clinic called the Solidarity or Community Enterprise and Solidarity Economy Clinic, um, CSEC for short. We at the clinic provide free legal support to cooperatives, uh, community-based organizations, uh, and other solidarity economy institutions. Uh, in the greater Chicago area. And so that's kind of my day work. I'm originally from Gary, Indiana, uh, which in part brings me to how I came to do the work that I do related to the solidarity economy and really trying to understand how economic development, community economic development historically has bottomed out cities like Gary, Indiana, like Rust Belt cities that are primarily black when we think about uh, a range of cities, Detroit, Newark, all once thriving communities and trying to understand how capitalism and pro-growth strategies actually uh, disinvest and, um, and leave those cities behind, a forgotten city. And so that's in part how I came to do solidarity economy work that I do. I see myself as a human rights solidarity economy lawyer and practitioner. Um, and I do some organizing in those spheres here in Chicago. So quick question for you, Renee, because this is our first time meeting. Is, is it that you saw what was happening in Gary, Indiana and other cities like that? And you're like, why is this happening? How do we do something about it that led you to your work? Absolutely. So it's really trying to figure out um, how Gary came to be the way that it was. I had a, you know, and also understanding that Communities like Gary aren't necessarily um, producing just like deficit type of narratives, right? So I had a very positive experience growing up in Gary, um, even though, you know, we have a fraction of the population that we used to have, many, many, many vacant houses. 
schools that have not been properly funded for decades, right? All of the those things in terms of it's public institutions being disinvested from, um, but really trying to understand how the city came to be the way that it was at that time, both growing up and as, as an adult, knowing that Gary had once been a very thriving city and actually the place most Chicagoans would go to vacation on the weekends, um, to find recreation. And so, again, tried to really figure out what processes, how Gary came to be the way that it it is today. Um, and really, so much of that has to do with the way in which both racism, economic development, and capitalism more broadly affects, you know, space um, and specifically urban space like cities like Gary. Thank you. We'll get into that in a little bit, but want uh, to give Matthew a chance to introduce himself. Yeah, thanks, Ebony. Um, I think a lot of what I'm going to say, I guess, is going to totally parallel what Renee just said. Partnering with communities on community development and economic development for a long time, mostly kind of coming from the art sector, right? Thinking about how art is a form of uh, creative placekeeping um, and trying to kind of like uh, create platforms for narratives, not just the disinvestment, the disenfranchisement narratives that kind of perpetuate things. But like, there's a lot of activity that's going on that people are doing to keep communities alive and thriving. So it's like, how do we build from from that space? So just doing a lot of that kind of up in uh, New York, the Hudson Valley area, Poughkeepsie, so very same narrative of that similar to Gary. And really thinking about like, how do we center people and the decisions that impact their lives? Like that's like what's core to me. Like that's the thread that kind of goes through all of the work I'm doing. Um, but most of the work now actually comes from my experience of being in Charlottesville, 2017, you know, the, you know, at the right rally, you know, seeing the trauma that took place both at the local level and the national level trauma that was very close in knowing the people that were being harmed in a lot of ways, you recognizing the need for the statues to, to, to go, but then not really seeing a kind of a deeper kind of analysis of like what perpetuates the statues to be there and what's going to happen after. Um, I think a lot about Robin Kelly has this great quote about like what we're against versus what we're for. And I saw a lot of about what we're against, but not a lot of, about what we're for. Um, and then like George Floyd, COVID pandemic takes place and, you know, really thinking that we need to kind of start to build systems and support systems like through a lot of what Renee, Renee is doing right we're do, kind of building the similar thing in Virginia like how do we create thriving communities in a lot of ways and so solidarity economy for me was a, a kind of a framework to think through that um, and to start to look at the connections that a lot of us are having to who are doing that work already even though we might not call it solidarity economy. Lovely so could one of y'all or both of y'all can give y'all take on what is a solidarity economy? Why does it matter? Why does it matter to our cities? Why does it matter to the work of advancing racial equity? Those are big questions. So take off whatever piece, but let the listeners know what it is and why it's important, first and foremost. Yeah, I can start with and ask Matthew to jump in and simply put, it's well, solidarity economy is both a movement and a theory, right? Like, so one, there is a solidarity economy movement that has been underway across the globe, certainly here, also in the U.S., um, both on a local, regional, and national level. 
Um, so it's it's an active movement that also is connected to many other movements, and I can speak a little bit to that later. Um, but the theory of solidarity economy is really simply put, like, how do we think about creating an economy that centers the needs of people and also like our limited resources on the planet, right? And so thinking about people and planet as the center of the organization of our social, economic, and political lives, right? Because it's more than just the economic system. It has implications for how we make decisions. And that, you know, obviously gets into either the political or electoral space. Um, but also, like, how do we create an economy where we can fundamentally relate differently to each other, have different types of relationships? Um, and I think a lot of times folks don't realize how much the the economy shapes and impacts the way you can actually be in relationship with the folks that, that that are closest to you, both your family, friends, right, um, your larger community, um, the economy has a huge impact on how we relate to each other. It is also, you know, it structures those relationships. Capitalism currently structures those relationships in a very particular way. And so solidarity economy, again, is just a, a way, um, a theory to center the needs of people on the planet. And the way in which we do that is by building institutions that have fundamentally different values than the values that underlie the capitalist system. Um, specifically, you know, I think in the U.S., there generally are five principles that people point to, um, one of which being solidarity or thinking about principled action, another being participatory democracy. So really trying to figure out, as Matthew said, how do we give people agency, you know, more control over the decisions that impact their daily lives, equity in all dimensions, or what I now like to use as like a liberatory framework. So how do we think about systems of oppression and undoing and specifically being intentional about dismantling those systems as we build a new economy, as we build new institutions, sustainability is the fourth principle um, and again gets to, to you know the the mess that we're in as it relates to the climate crisis and trying to move towards you know a sustainable model thinking about ecology and thinking about moving away from these pro-growth strategies that are killing us literally um, to the extent that people can't breathe right in the city of New York as of yesterday in part you know you're told inside so we we are finally you know I think in real ways every day, seeing the real impacts of the climate crisis. Um, and then finally, the last principle is pluralism, which simply means that there's not a one-size-fits-all kind of way of building a new economy or society. Like, it should take into account the things that people need, their particular context, their histories, their lineage. Um, so pluralism, right, this idea that there's many ways of doing things as opposed to uh, just one way. Right, and many different types of experiments that exist within the solidarity economy. Um, the last thing I'll say just before turning it over to Matthew, I think sometimes, you know, those of us who are solidarity economy practitioners, sometimes I think the language can be just not immediately accessible for folks who are learning about this for the first time. So I think it's helpful sometimes to give examples. So certain types of, you know, solidarity economy uh, institutions would be things like cooperatives. Right? So for example, worker cooperatives, which are simply businesses in which the workers have ownership and some type of control or management of the business, right? They have some say in setting their working conditions, things like that. Also different forms of mutual aid are certainly a part of the solidarity economy. 
um, the various ways in which support networks actually facilitate like life and survival, right? So um, one thing that I like to say is that everybody is engaged in some form of solidarity economy practice, uh, whether that be, you know, asking your uh, familial networks to watch your dogs or watch your children, or whether that be the ways in which you simply, you know, share your Amazon account, your Amazon Prime account, previously Netflix. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So all of, all of those constitute like, uh, practices of cooperation. Um, and there are many, many ways in which like the solidarity economy shows up. It's in every industry, um it's in every city most recently i think there there has been an emergence right of folks who are really trying to organize around solidarity economy on both a local and national level thank you that was robust matthew what do you have to add to the definition the conversation and uh maybe specifically what's happening here uh in virginia in virginia yeah i mean i i would say like like the the go to d- the definition is like you know an economy that centers people and planet over profit right and it it's not like people don't have to make money we all have to survive and we all have to pay for our lives but it's like thinking about how those resources like support and create in thriving communities in a lot of ways so we're like a lot of the work that we've been kind of doing in the Virginia as of right now is thinking about care. Um, and the care is like, you know, taking care of yourself, right? Like going for walks, like getting off the computer, walking in the street and saying hi to friends and having a cup of coffee now that we can get back out and kind of be together again. Um, but care is also like our healthcare care system. And like, how does our healthcare system actually support our communities to be well and uh, to have, you know, fruitful lives and, and those types of things. So a lot of conversations around um, like child care and mental health care and home domestic care, home care, all the, the things that make allow us to do the things that we want to do. Uh, but then we need to treat the people who are supporting those things in a, in a, in a way that's that's meaningful so they can have those so they can share in those those resources. Um, so thinking a lot about how do we create an economy where where people can get access to to child care, right? Because I know child care access in Richmond is really difficult. Uh, having friends who are having children and like can't find a daycare, even though the child isn't even born yet. And so they're creating different ways of kind of collectively coming together and creating cooperatives and things like that. Um, but then how do we make sure that the people then doing the care are have, have those lives too? Um, I, I also think like, you know, sometimes putting it, putting the negative or putting the opposite because, um, in play here is that you know our traditional way of thinking about the economy one is about distance right like the economy is out there it's mysterious it happens there's this invisible hand that's controlling things which isn't necessarily true all of that is about separating ourselves and talking to organizers when i talk to them they say you know the, when we use this term economy people are like that's not a part of something i'm a part of when in reality we are deeply a part of it um which i think renee just made that point of we're always a part of it it's a it's a, around us it's all the choices we make and the relationships we have um but the traditional con- conceptions right are one of scarcity one of competition one of individuality um when in reality like we live in a world of abundance um and we just need to think more about how that abundance is accessible to everybody um in great ways and 
you know, capitalist systems are built on inequality, right? They're built on hierarchy. They're built on certain people having access to resources and others not. And that's not, doesn't have to be the case. Um, so a lot of, I feel like what solidarity economy is trying to do is try to like, think about like, what does it mean to move towards deeper relationships? Um, what does it mean to, uh, to, to think about, again, like the families, our neighborhoods, our communities, our cities, and how do we create systems that, that create access to different means of resources and whatnot over time? The values that Renee mentioned are like so important, but I think there's a difference between like verbalizing those values and living those values, right? And how do those values translate to our own like local context right mm -hmm. like when we talk to people we, we we mention these values and people say yeah I, I agree with them but then when we say well how is your nonprofit like democratically organized and they're like well it's a traditional hierarchical we have a board and we're not living those values in, in tangible ways so we need to think more and deeply about that I think that's a big piece of what the solidarity economy is asking us to do so I'm wondering uh, y'all's thoughts on, so my central question for this podcast going forward is what now, what next? So we're three years after like a lot, so much has happened in the world um, that has shifted our thinking, that it shifted our way of being. And I'm wondering what you all kind of think about that as relations, as rela in relationship to the solidarity economy of like, how does that shape? the work that y'all are doing now? And then what do, you, what do you feel like the work that needs to be done next to move things forward? And how does that intersect with racial equity? Yeah. So I think that the last three years, right, of collective mourning and upheaval as it relates both to when we think about the pandemic, um, the murder of George Floyd, the protests of the summer of 2020, uh, I think it actually activated a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, and certainly there was a, there was a, a mass mobilization right in the summer of 2020, and you know, folks in numbers that we had not seen came out to protest racial injustice, uh, premature black death, right, state violence, and I think the pandemic at the same time also just showed us that in those moments of crisis, like who shows up, right? It's not, it's, it's not necessarily the government. It, it made visible the ways in which we do not support people. Um, and we don't necessarily have the infrastructure, right? Like to provide the support for people to sustain themselves. Um, so I've actually been really encouraged by all of the practices, institutions that sprung up in these last few years. Specifically, we saw an explosion of mutual aid work. We saw, you know, folks really organizing on a very local level just to get food, get money, get whatever was needed to folks. And so I think it demonstrated, right, uh, the capacity of communities, like in these moments of crisis, and also brought a, a, a large group of people who may have not been doing this work into solidarity economy practices, into spaces in which they were now trying to make decisions collectively or democratically even. And so I actually think there's been an explosion of solidarity economy work given the conditions, right? So I, I mm. think that's very important. We're doing it. But I also think call that, that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I also think that some of what happened in the last three years were 
or maybe uh, explodes ways that we are not ready to fully capture and to the extent possible, like realize the solidarity economy in moments of crisis. So one example of this is there was so much tent organizing that happened during the pandemic, right? Cancel writ um, campaigns that were happening. And I think in some of those moments, there were opportunities to leverage those types of campaigns and organizing into, right, fundamentally different systems related to like housing and living arrangements, right? So if your landlord is trying to evict you or exploit you or going up on the rent, one way in which we fundamentally change that, in addition to having rent strikes or in addition to organizing against landlords or certain systems um, or laws that make it very difficult, like just for us to find a place to live, to, to like maintain a home, is to organize, right, um, tenant-owned cooperatives, right? And so that I think there was a moment there, for example, for us to like capture that moment of crisis and really been to activate people to organize, for example, like housing cooperatives, right? Low equity housing cooperatives, thinking about permanent affordability, thinking about the ways in which tenants could do buyouts of landlords, right? Um, and so I think that some of that was exposed during these last few years. But again, overall, I actually think there was a lot of movement too from certain power structures like philanthropy, like both local state governments. Uh, one of the things that I think we absolutely saw with the pandemic was that the willingness to give grants, right, to businesses, like, and of course, the government gives money to private businesses, corporations all the time. That is not necessarily something that is always visible or in public discourse. I do think with the PPP loans, right, that were, for the most part, grants to businesses, and then also the discourse about, like, who actually received those and who uh, was better positioned to actually get loans and how much they got. It did create space to say, well, why aren't we funding either institutions or businesses that are owned by community um, and we know are going to have a direct positive impact, not just on, you know, the folks who might be owners of that business, but the surrounding community. And so I think that it opened up some space around organizing for resources as it relates to solidarity economy initiatives. Um, we saw that here in Chicago and last year earmarked $15 million for uh, community wealth building institutions, which we was specifically defined as worker cooperatives, low equity housing cooperatives, community land trusts, and then uh, community investment vehicles, which are essentially commercial property that's owned by community or collectively in some way. Um and I don't think that would have happened but for those conditions, right? So I think there's been movement, and I think that's really positive. I think there's also a lot of work to do. And some of this, as Matthew was saying, which I think is so important to like solidarity economy movement practitioners, is how do we embed our values in along the way in every aspect of what we're doing, right? And it becomes iterative. I think, you know, it's not one of those things where we're going to get to a place and everything's great and we're fully living out our values it's gonna continue to push us to adjust and um to check the ways in which we are trying to you know transform society 
And so it's it's an iterative process. So a lot to be encouraged by, but also a lot of work to do. Just building get on Renee's like great thoughts. Like we had this moment of crisis, um, which was what capitalism is, is good at perpetuating, right? Like crisis after crisis after crisis. I mean, on so many different levels. Um, and so the, the response of that in a lot of ways is people are starting to like open their eyes up. They're like, yeah, I think, I think about, um, Alcoholics Anonymous programs, right? Like the first thing is to like stay, say that you're like, an, you're an alcoholic to admit that you're so like, we're admitting finally that we're capitalists, right? We live in a capitalist system. Um, and so now we can start to think beyond that next step. I think moving from this moment of crisis to moving to a moment of like actual strategy and planning is really important. I see that starting to happen. Uh, as another organizer in Southwest Virginia said the other day, like we're starting to build like the enabling infrastructures to make this all happen and start to kind of start to perpetuate this. But the problem is that like those structures, like Chicago as in as an ecosystem for solidarity is very different than the ecosystem of Virginia and even Richmond, right? Like histories of labor organizing that we just don't have in Virginia. Um, like we don't have comparable cooperative law in Virginia that Illinois has. So we have to do a lot of work, both culturally and legally and financially to kind of start to build that. So I think that's starting to happen. Like we're starting to think about like, how do we create those infrastructures so that, you know, if a group wants to create a cooperative, like what allows them to do that and do that in a way that's, that's viable. Um, and so we can support them in doing that. So that's a lot of what like Virginia Senate is doing right now is trying to think through that and try to build relationships to allow that to happen. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. I would love for you all to, as we close this conversation, share something that you are working on or you're working on in your networks, um, your work, your affiliation that's really encouraging. That would just kind of be a model or something you would like to lift up for our listeners um, that would encourage us about what's happening in the future. So what are you working on that's great that you want to lift up? Yeah, I love this question. Um, so... I'll lift up two things. So I, I mentioned the city of Chicago's investment in community wealth building initiatives. And, you know, one of the things I want to say about that is that there were a few things that I think were really positive about this. You know, generally speaking, I think we have to be very thoughtful and critical about how we engage the state with this work. But that said, I do think that often the state can provide certain types of resource. And in some cases, at moments, certain types of legitimacy to these types of initiatives that sometimes can be helpful, even though in the long term we know that, you know, this this is this is work that should be done outside of the state. Uh, but in the, the city of Chicago's community wealth building initiative, there were a few things that were very positive, uh, one of which we had a framework. We got them to agree to a framework in which this initiative is limited to in, um, organizations or businesses that are community or collectively owned and community controlled, right? And so again, like having to meet those two criteria to actually be considered to be a community wealth building institution were really important. Um, and then the other thing that I think was really positive that came out of that was that, you know, they are specifically funding those four types of solidarity economy initiatives, uh, worker cooperatives, limited equity housing cooperatives, community land trusts, and community investment vehicles. But what was helpful was that we got them to think about 
this work as the ecosystem, uh, right, work, right? So, so the funding, and not just goes to technical assistance providers, it goes to technical assistance providers in the first phase, you know, folks who are actively working with uh, cooperatives or housing co-ops to get developed and to sustain themselves. Um, but then also there was the bulk of the money went directly to these mm. types of institutions, right? So directly to worker co-ops for a feasibility study or for initial startup capital to get a building or whatever that looks like, right? And so that often doesn't happen. And I think it's something that we need to push for as we're thinking about this work, both locally, you know, regionally, nationally. Um, so part of what we're doing as a as as in some of this work related to the ecosystem is really trying to come together uh, across the solidarity economy or uh, to make sure that we're leveraging all the different parts, all the different things, really making the connections that folks need to get um, institutions or solidarity economy initiatives like technical support, but more importantly, also to like network with each other, right? Find ways really to make all of the parts like larger um, and in total than the parts themselves. Uh, so I think that that's really encouraging work and we're trying to build out a platform to kind of amplify this and, and provide some cohesion to what's happening here. And also, you know, to a certain extent, remaining decentralized. Um, and folks like doing their projects, but coming together to advocate for things that will mm. benefit everyone. And then the final thing I'll say, one of the, the some of the organizing work most recently here in Chicago that's been really helpful or to me is really exciting has been um, in some of the work within the, um, ju which was pre previously just Chicago, now um, a collaboration called PASS partners in abolition transformation healing and solidarity which essentially is a coalition of grassroots organizations here in chicago that do more resist work as well as folks who are doing solidarity economy organizing to really try to build uh bridges and also to knit together some of the resist and build work um so as a part of that one of the things that we did last year was launch a fellowship called base um base Black abolitionist solidarity. with all these African fellowship. Hey, hey, hey! Listen, I'm in Jim Row. Listen, uh, tell us so, what. So, base the Black Abolitionist Solidarity Economy okay. Fellowship is was really an initiative to try to proliferate solidarity economy initiatives that are helping us build an abolitionist future, right? And so, really thinking about like. What, how are we, we reimagining, right? Like, what are our frameworks for reimagining? Abolition being a very important one, thinking about a society that exists without the need for state violence, without the need for prisons. Um, the only way we get there, in part, is to transform this economy, right? Like, this economy, in part, like, capitalism relies on state violence, relies on prisons, right, to serve a specific function. And so part of what we were trying to do with the fellowship um, is really proliferate these types of experiments, cooperatives, and institute solidarity economy initiatives that folks are doing that are helping us get there, right? So we had um, nearly 20 fellows that represented some, I think, 10 projects. Um, but part of what we were trying to do is also do peer learning, cohort learning, both that is political, but also helping folks really like build in strong institutions 
that again are controlled, owned by community that, you know, serve us in the ways that we need, right? Um, and so those are the two things that I'm most excited about in this moment, at least here local to Chicago, um, and looking forward to like to continue to build. Well, those are all exciting things. We have to remember those acronyms. <laughs> we have a follow-up email so I can put some of those uh, programs or links in the show notes. Matthew, hopefully you have a bunch of acronyms too. No, I'm just playing. What are you most excited about in your work? I just want to say, like, I think it's like super inspiring to hear all the work in Chicago. Like, like when I hear about other work going on around the country, I think we've got to recognize that there is, there are things going on in Richmond already, right? Like we have an office of community wealth building in Richmond. It's not necessarily doing all of the stuff that, that Renee is describing, but it could. Um, uh, and it's, it's baby steps uh, in, in moving forward on that. Um, so the things that are exciting for me um, are working on participatory budgeting. So the Richmond People's Budget is going to kick off next summer, um, and citizens are going to decide how $3 million of the city budget is going to be set, spent. Um, and that's going to grow in, in the development. And it's not just about spending the money. It's about educating people about how their city works. Um, and then it's also about building trust because there's so much distrust that has been perpetuated over along, you know, all the racial history of Richmond. Um, so we need to find opportunities to kind of re like rebuild trust. Um, and as like, uh, Adrian Marie Brown would say, like moving at the speed of trust. Um, so that's a big thing that's coming up. Um, or there's a commission working on designing that right now. And, and we're going to be doing a ton of community engagement to prep the community to be ready to participate in that, um, next year. Um, I'm glad Renee also mentioned resistant build because there is going to be a convening of national leaders in Richmond uh, as a part of this resistant build uh, summit that's going to take place in October. Um, and we're going to do a kind of a public Ooh. opening of that where we're going to have people like um, Renee and others from around the country there to talk about the work that they're doing and to inspire work, but also place Richmond and Virginia-based people who are doing that work already in, on a platform so we can highlight and magnify their efforts. So that's going to happen in October. Um, I, I, I had a third thing. Now I can't remember what it is. But th those like participatory budgeting and and that recent build summit is coming up and are two really exciting things to kind of start to perpetuate all the same things that are happening in Chicago. That's what we're trying to make happen in Richmond and, and around Virginia. So we have the wrap up, but can one of y'all give me two sentences about resist and build so resist and build is you know i think a framework that a lot of us have been using uh related to just our organizing approach right so thinking about all of the things that we need to continue to contest as it relates to right systems of oppression as it relates to state violence as it relates to you know various systems that just simply don't serve people or and, and specifically those communities that have been um, discriminated against, marginalized, right, targeted. Um, so the resist work, I think, is usually the work that folks are more familiar with. It's the mobilization work. It's the, you know, defund the police, invest in our futures work. The build work is, again, like part of what we have to do if we want to, to, to transform both local and our society overall 
It's also build counter institutions that can serve functions that that the systems that don't you serve can't us just currently. Get in, you're be we have, exactly. We have to build counter institutions that can actually provide for us and like the basic ways in which folks need to be collectively organized. Um, and so that can be things like, yeah, we need to train community folks up around emergency response as opposed to calling the police. Like we need systems that can serve um, in, in ways that actually are really thinking about care instead of incarceration, right, and car the carceral system. Um, and so that's a lot of the bill work, building these counter institutions, building institutions that we actually own, control, and that serve us in the ways that we need. Um, but then I would actually add to the resistant bill, just like also what we, we need to really think about and build into that framework is healing. Because part of it is that all of those systems of oppression will show up in our spaces. As we build cooperatives, as we build, you know, community-based organizations, we are coming in with all of those systems that have we've been socialized in and that are embedded in us and embedded in the way in which like interpersonal relationships, organizations are usually, you know, um, actually built or are governed. All of that comes in with us. And so really, really try to think about the um, personal transformation work that has to happen the interpersonal transformation work that has to happen as well as like the yeah. organizational transformation work that has to happen. And that really is the healing, like trying to um, relate to each other in a different way. And that is a huge part of this work. It has to be. Um, and so, you know, again, I would like get folks to not just think about resist and build, but resist, build and heal, which really is about like, how do we change the way in which we can and are relating to each other. So I'll, 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 yeah, I love that. I love that because it really is a is an inside out job, right? And so we've been swimming in this water of individualism and capitalism and how we do things. And unless we're changed, I'm not sure how we can change and rebuild systems that are fundamentally different. So I love what y'all are have been saying about living your values, like that's the hard part. You can say it all you want. That's the hard part. I love, it's not a, I like, not just about what you are against, but what are you for? What are you trying to build? And how do we create these counter institutions that are fundamentally different, that are built on different values that are building on how are we in this together and how can we own this together and how can we profit together. And I think those are the disruptive ways of being, the institutions that we need to start supporting, planting, building in our communities if we're going to realize a different future. So I just want to thank y'all for coming on. Uh, I think this has been a great episode. So many new thoughts and concepts. I just wanted to introduce people to solidarity economy. It's not something lots of folks know about. So I thank y'all for your contribution to this episode. Before we go, would love for y'all to let people know how to reach you all, whether website or email or whatever you are comfortable sharing. And then we're going to close us out. I was going to ask Matthew to go first. I'm happy to. Um, yeah, uh, check out vasolidarity.org. Um, that's the Virginia Solidarity Economy Network's uh, website. And you can get on our mailing list and follow all the activities. There's a ton of things happening um, there um, and be in touch with us through that. Wonderful. Renee? Yeah, folks can check out the Chicago Community Wealth Building work that I mentioned at ecwbe.org. 
um, for updates in terms of how we're building out the ecosystem here in Chicago. Uh, and reach me on social media, Renee Camille Hatcher. Wonderful. Well, thank y'all. This has been a, another wonderful episode of The Intersection, the uh, podcast of the Richmond Racial Equity Essays. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you.